Welcome to Catholic Light. Join me, Becca Doherty, each week as we shed a little light while keeping the conversation light. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Catholic Light. Thanks for joining me. On Sunday, let's see, when was that? Sunday, September 10th, so a couple Sundays ago from when this episode airs, the gospel passage was from Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20, so chapter 18, 15 through 20, and this is one of the the famous spots in the gospels um, where Jesus says, if two of you agree on earth about anything for which they are to pray, it shall be granted to them by my heavenly Father. And then it goes on to say, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So I think that's worth repeating, reflecting on, and then uh, claiming the power of this promise, or let's say cashing in on on Jesus's offer here, where again, he says, if two of you agree on earth about anything, so just two of you, you and another person, agree on earth about anything for which they are to pray, it shall be granted to them by my heavenly Father. That's pretty amazing. So gather another person, um, decide you know what, what you're gonna that for which you're going to pray. Offer up your intentions together, and Jesus promises that the heavenly Father will grant us those petitions, intentions, receive those thanksgivings. That's that's pretty wild, and you know we believe in a God who is good, goodness itself who is truth, who does not lie to us. And so if he says this to us, we believe he means it, and he sees it through, he carries it out, uh, he hears and answers our prayers. So, you know, granted, or the caveat is, the way that our prayers are answered are is not always, are not always the way we imagine, we think we want them answered. Um, but again, God who is goodness itself, who is all loving and loves us even more than we love ourselves, loves our spouses, our children, our friends, family members, acquaintances, etc., infinitely more than we could love each of those people in our lives. We trust that he wants to answer our prayers, um, not just how we want them answered or how we think is best, but in the objectively best way, way possible for the immediate moment, our immediate circumstances, and also for uh, how that will play out for eternity. So um, o- over time or throughout time, huh, it sounds like throughout time and space in a galaxy far away, um, at different times I have prayed with different family members and friends. So I have a couple of friends in my life um, who who really love praying and um, praying in community. And so we've done novenas together for particular intentions where generally we'll, we'll, you know, before day one of the novena, we'll we'll say, I want to pray for this. The other person says, I want to pray for that. And then each day, uh, sometimes we'll get together physically in person and pray together. And then sometimes we'll do it remotely. I think that COVID language will, will stick around for me. Remotely, we pray together. We unite our, unite our intentions and our hearts and our prayers remotely. Um, and we've seen, thanks be to God, just beautiful things come from these novenas, which is then encouraging to, to keep praying and, and praying together. So my go-tos are, I love praying rosary novenas, so nine days. So novena, um, the etymology of the word novena is nine. And this is praying for a particular intention, petition. Sometimes you could offer up a novena of gratitude. So maybe you've been praying for something, you saw those prayers answered, and you're just overwhelmed with gratitude. You want to thank God for hearing and answering your 
your prayers. So it's nine, day, nine consecutive days of praying for a particular, a particular thing or offering up a particular thing. And we see this a number of times uh, throughout Scripture in both Old and New Testaments. And the one of the passages that that comes to mind, particularly in the New Testament, is that um, first, you know, asking you shall receive, uh, seeking you shall find, knock and it shall be opened to you. We think of the persistent widow. We think of the parable where um, you know Jesus talks about like a man is going to bed, his family's tucked in, and then someone comes to the door asking for something, and he says, he like yells from the bed, like "Go away, we're all tucked in, doors locked." Jesus says, you know, if if that man doesn't get up out of bed because of his relationship with whoever's at the door, like a love of a friend or a kinship of a family member, <laughs> at least he'll get up for the persistence, like, stop knocking on my door. Fine. Okay, I'll open it. What do you want? Um, so I, do, I don't imagine Jesus acts that way to us, like, fine, Becca, you keep asking for this thing. So fine, just shut up already. I'll give it to you. No, God does not do that. Um, but we see throughout scripture that uh, God invites us, encourages us to be persistent, to ask again and again and again. And as we've talked about before, um, this is not because our prayers change God. God is unchangeable. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Um, he does not change. He's not won over by our prayers. Like, you know what? Like, that was really good wording, how you said that prayer. So I think that sounds good. I think I'll give it to you. I think I'll make that happen. No, God, there's no past, present, or excuse me, no past or future to God. All is present. Um, so he sees all. He's He's working on all. Um, but that prayer and that call to persistence is really for us so that we grow in an understanding perhaps of what we more truly and deeply desire. We think on day one of the novena, this is what I want. This is what I'm asking for. And by day nine, we're like, oh, actually, this would be better. Thank God. You know, you either didn't give that to me or grant that request or, you know, gave it to me in this way. So novenas are scriptural. We pray nine consecutive days for a particular intention, petition, or offer up a thanksgiving. And as this passage from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 18 encourages and reminds us that if we do that with another person or other persons, there's power in that. Um, there is is something a little greater there when we come together in community. And you know why why that may be. There's any number of reasons, but when we come together as as a communion of persons, we're um, imaging the Trinity, who is is an image of persons, and and there in that that giving and receiving of love, that communion of persons. Um, there is great love, great life, and so something more is is drawn out of our, our being together and praying together. So inspired by this, I thought, hey, speaking of remote, we are a remote community um, spreading. I, occasionally I look at the statistics of this podcast and um, we have people tuning in from all over the world, which is really cool. Um, and so thank you for, for being a part of this remote community, being a part of this community community. Uh, spread far and wide. And so I was thinking, inspired by this gospel passage, that we could pray together as a community. And so if you so desire, we're going to start on Thursday, September 21st, and then pray through Friday, September 29th, which is the Feast of the Archangels, Saints Gabriel, Michael, and who am I missing? Raphael. Um, so we'll lift up together as a community each other's intentions. And you could go about this 
uh, in a few different ways. So one, I, I would say I'm most active, and even there I'm not very active at all, on my Instagram page. So if you have Instagram, you can go to Catholic Light Podcast. And I'm going to post a tile that says basically place your intentions, petitions, and thanksgivings here. And if you would like to, in the comments section, list that for which you are praying, that for which you would like to pray, please list them there. You could also email me at contact at catholiclight.org, contact at catholiclight.org, and uh, send your petitions, intentions, thanksgivings. Or you could simply offer up, join us in this novena, offer up your your prayer requests in your heart each day and spiritually, remotely, unite them to the community and this novena that we're praying together. So what I'll do is um, each day, starting on the 21st, each morning at six o'clock, I will go live on Instagram and I'll simply pray. We're going to pray the Our Lady Undoer of Knots Novena. So I'll read the prayer for each day. And so welcome to join me live. If you're not an early riser or perhaps you are already working at that point or engaged in something else at that point, um, you can then you know go back and, and play the video uh, later in the day. And so what I'll do is each day I'll read the novena prayer. We'll pause where it says mention request here. Pause for a moment and lift up all of our Catholic Light Podcast listeners' intentions, petitions, and thanksgivings. And I'll do that each day through the 29th, and we'll we'll send them once and for all up to heaven with the guardian angels through the intercession of the guardian, excuse me, the uh, archangels on their feast day. So please consider, consider joining me in this uh, novena. Whenever I pray a novena, I also like to pick something to give up. So Christ will say in the Gospels uh, that this thing can only be driven out or this prayer is, is answered through prayer and fasting. And so in addition to praying together, I invite you to pick one thing to fast from, something to give up. It could be, um, you know, red wine, uh, coffee in the morning. It could be sugar in your coffee. It could be, you know, you, you choose to eat three meals a day and not snack in between or eat desserts after, after your meals. Um, it could be fast from, you know, texting between 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. and just catch up on your texts at the end of the day so that you're more present to the people and things before you throughout the day. It could be fast from television, uh, any number of things. So I invite you to pick one thing to fast from while we pray this novena together. And we're going to bank on... Jesus' promise, if two of you agree on earth about anything for which they are to pray, it shall be granted to them by my heavenly Father. So thanks for joining me in this. All right, so today we're going to talk about the fourth commandment. On last week's episode, I just did a simple reading of the catechism selection on the first, I would say like two-thirds of the portion that covers the fourth commandment. And then on the second half of today's episode, I'll complete the reading for the, the fourth commandment. So thanks for rolling with the punches. This was the, the second time. And we've been doing this podcast about a year and a half. Let's see, February. Yeah, a little, little more than a year and a half. And by my projections, we have about about four and a half months to go. So I think we're going to, at the very beginning of the podcast, I projected about two years. So um, unlike Father Mike Schmitz's Bible in a year, and now he's doing the catechism in a year, we're doing a catechism in two years. And it looks like we're going to wrap up uh, just shy of two years. It's going to be about one month shy of, of two years, God willing. I mean, who knows? God, God sees also. Maybe he foresees I'll have something going on for a month and we'll actually complete it in 
two years. We'll see. Um, so this was the second time that I've done a, simply a reading of the, the catechism. And that was because I forgot that back to school is a transition. So um, Sophia and Declan, so Sophia entered second grade, Declan started kindergarten this year, and Peter started preschool. And they were all joyful, joyful send-offs, um, you know, happy, excited gathering of school supplies and backpacks and first day of school outfits. Um, but I just forgot that, you know, getting back into that, well, new old routine of, you know, making lunches and setting out backpacks and filling up water bottles and, you know, filling out all those, those questionnaires, uh, about your kids for the teachers and sign up geniuses. And I just forgot, <laughs> I forgot that that's like a, you know, that's a, a thing. And, um, so forgive me for, uh, skipping a week of commentary and, and here we are back back to school and back to the podcast. So, um, oh, and in the midst of that, Lucy turned one, uh, which was exciting. So little, little Lucy Regina is, is now one years old, one year old. So right in the midst of this back to school excitement and hubbub and organization, you know, busyness, uh, my sister Kristen sent, we have a family texturing, sent on the family texturing. This video is about 25 minutes from Father Mike Schmitz entitled Hurry and Worry. And I'll post the link in the show notes if you're interested in listening to it. I highly recommend it. Where he gives, I think he's giving a homily, but he's looking at a camera, so I'm not sure what, what this is. Um, but basically he's giving a talk slash homily on how we are so busy and hurried and filled with so much worry. And he says, at one point, he says, you know, it's just par for the course that when we see each other and say, like, how's it going? So many of us, and I, I put myself in this camp, say, good, busy. Like, that's just how life is. And he, so he talks through a number of great points. But at one point, he quotes uh, the Roman philosopher Seneca, so from thousands of years ago, who talks about how, you know, we all want more time. We all feel like we need more time. We feel like life is going by so quickly and there's so much to do. And Seneca basically says, it's not that we need more time. It's that we don't use our time well. <laughs> so in the midst of this, like, uh, busy, 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 and, you know, there's so much to do. Uh, my sister shares this this video with us. And I'm like, ooh, this is a great, great point of reflection um, for right now and for for life. Because in the words of, of Ben Rector, one of my favorite artists, uh, who says, funny, funny how this all looks different, but it feels the same. Like how life never stops changing, but some things never change. So we all have, you know, things going on. We're all struggling with different things, trying to keep up with certain things, um, which it seems like that never changes in the midst of change and transition and change and transition and new things and busyness. And so um, so at this beginning of a new school year for many of us, um, or maybe just a, a refreshed start at work and in life as, you know, as I would say, as things cool down and, and the leaves start to turn, but it's still like 96 degrees in the Philadelphia area. Um, I encourage you, I invite you to listen to this um, this video, this talk by Father Mike Schmitz called Hurry and Worry. I think you could go on YouTube. You could just type in Father Mike Schmitz, Hurry and Worry. And, uh, you know, if not, you could just go to the show notes and click on the link there. And I, I think it's worth, after after hearing him talk 
about this quote from Seneca. I looked up the full quote, and I'm going to read it here. It's it's kind of harrowing, <laughs> at least for me personally, because I think it applies to me. It is not that we have a short time to live, but that we waste a lot of it. Life is long enough, and a sufficiently generous amount has been given to us for the highest achievements if it were all well invested. But when it is wasted in a heedless luxury and spent on no good activity, we are forced at last by death's final constraint to realize that it has passed away before we knew it was passing. So it is. We are not given a short life, but we make it short. And we are not ill-supplied, but wasteful of it. Life is long if you know how to use it. It's <laughs> <was> like, dang. <laughs> it's not that we're not given enough time. It's that we waste the time we're given. So come, Lord Jesus, give us the grace at the beginning of this school year, this, this new season of fall, um, to use the time that you have given us well, to use this life, to spend this life, to live this life well, um, so that we can, what does he say? Uh, that we can make the highest achievements, we can achieve the highest achievements uh, by investing our time well. Come, Lord Jesus. Okay, so... One of the ways we can use our time well is by honoring our mother and our father. <laughs> How's that for a transition? <laughs> so we talked today about the fourth commandment, and the fourth commandment starts the second tablet. So recall that there are two tablets given to Moses by God. First commandment, excuse me, first tablet uh, details the first three commandments, all pertaining to love, loving God above all. And then commandments four through 10 are inscribed on the second tablet, the, st the second stone, and they all deal with loving our neighbor as ourselves. So the fourth commandment starts the second tablet, and it shows us, as Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 2197 says, it shows us the order of charity. So God first, and then our parents, and then it works its way down through the other commandments as we honor, love, serve, don't uh, sin against our neighbors. So God first, then our parents, and then others. Catechism, paragraph 2199, says that this parental, mother, father, and child relationship is the most universal relationship. So this commandment applies to all of us, no matter the circumstances of our birth, of our parents' relationship, whether they're together, not together, whether our parents are living or deceased, um, whether we were conceived via in vitro fertilization through surrogacy. Um, that was, I might have talked about this before, that was a real, um, a real interesting change for me as a theology teacher when I started having students who were conceived through in vitro fertilization. Um, and it was, it was not just a few students. Um, and so we would talk, uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that in, in, uh, one of the future commandments, but um, no, basically no matter the circumstances of our birth, our creation, uh, our family, um, we all have a mom and dad. So even if we were, you know, conceived via in vitro fertilization, um, we came from, you know, the an egg from our mother and the sperm of our father. And so whether we know them or not, we are called to honor our mother and father. And so um, for those of us who might not, not know our mom and dad or might not have a relationship with our mom and dad, the way that we can honor them is, is by offering gratitude to God for giving us life. Again, no matter the circumstances, thank you, Jesus, for the gift of my life. And um, you know, to pray for our mom and dad wherever they are 
uh, whether living, that God will bless them in whatever circumstances they find themselves. And if they're deceased, we pray for the, the repose of their souls and that, God willing, we will be reunited in heaven one day. So this is the most universal relationship, that of mother, father, and child. And then paragraph 2212 talks about how this relationship, our relationship with our mom and our dad, illuminates all of our other relationships. And so uh, it sheds light, illuminates on our relationships with others. And I think this paragraph is just very beautifully written. So I'm going to read it here. Let's see, 2212. Paragraph 2212 says, The fourth commandment illuminates other relationships in society. In our brothers and sisters, we see the children of our parents. In our cousins, the descendants of our ancestors. In our fellow citizens, the children of our country. In the baptized, the children of our mother, the church. In every human person, a son or daughter of the one who wants to be called our father. In this way, our relationships with our neighbors are recognized as personal in character. The neighbor is not a unit in the human collective. He is someone who by his known origins deserves particular attention and respect. How beautiful. Illuminates other relationships in society such that the neighbor is not a unit in the human collective, but someone who deserves particular attention and respect. So this fourth commandment, I think sometimes, um, you know, gets the bad rap of like, do as I say, um, not as I do, or, you know, children should, what's that saying about be seen and not heard? Um, basically just like diligently respecting, obeying, and being in a nice tidy little little line before a mom and dad. Um, but it talks about, the catechism here talks about the, the interrelatedness of our relationships. When we honor our mother and father, we recognize that we, you know, we come from, from this union, and as a result, our are put into communion with so many other individuals um, who are not separate little units, but connected to us in various ways. And that reminds us to respect the dignity of each person who is a child of God, um, whether Catholic, Christian, or atheist, whether baptized or unbaptized, we all come from the same loving God, and he calls each and every one of us back to ourselves. And kind of in that vein, um, as we are called to honor our mother and father. Mother and father are called to to honor, respect, and love their children. So paragraph 2201 says that marriage and the family are ordered to the good of the spouses and to the procreation and education of children. So mother and father are called not only to be open to life, to giving life to potential children, but to educating and raising up those children in the, the way, the truth, and the life, the truth, beauty, and goodness of God and, and the beautiful things he places before us in creation. I've mentioned before that Declan and I are taking piano lessons, and um, it, it's set up in such a way that our piano teacher, Miss Robin, has converted a barn uh, to a piano studio, and she has this, this nice little sitting area where while Declan takes his lesson, I sit and read, and then while I take my lesson, Declan will usually he'll either fall asleep or uh, bring like connects or magnetiles to, to build something or work on something. And so as I was, I was sitting, reading, um, and listening to Declan take his lesson with Miss Robin, I was struck by, and I realized that Robin, who's a woman, she said she just celebrated a big birthday, so maybe like 50, 60, I don't know. Um, she never talks down to 
the children. So she never talks down to Declan, and I imagine her other students, many of whom are, are young. Um, but she treats them as equals, and it's very beautiful. She's very affirming, um, but also firm with them, like, nope, don't place your hand there. Nope, that's the wrong note, or you're going too fast. Um, but then she's, she seems to be genuinely interested in Declan's interests and, you know, how he's doing. And um, so so kind of observing that in her, you know, I was reminded that, that this commandment uh, kind of goes both ways. As we honor our mother and father, um, they love and serve each of us uh, by giving us life and then raising us up in, in the truth and truths of life. And then that raising up that procreation and education of their children leads to the sanctification and, and growth and education of the parents. So paragraph 2227 says, children contribute to the growth and holiness of their parents. How beautiful. Paragraphs 2223 and then 2227, I'd like to highlight because they talk about how this, this growth, this openness to life, this education, this formation um, often comes about through, uh, you know, failing and struggles, but then repeated forgiveness and helping each other get back up, um, trusting in the, the best intentions of the other, the love of the other, and then, you know, giving putting forth best intentions ourselves and and loving and serving the other. So 2223 says uh, parents have the first responsibility for the education of their children. Bum, ba, da, bum, bum, bum. This requires an apprenticeship in self-denial, sound judgment, and self-mastery, the preconditions of all true freedom. Parents have a grave responsibility to give good example to their children by knowing how to acknowledge their own failings to their children Parents will be better able to guide and correct them. So family, marriage and family life is an apprenticeship in self-denial, sound judgment, and self-mastery, the preconditions of all true freedom. How beautiful is that line? We are immersed in this culture of autonomy and self-reliance and independence, which are all good things, but to the point of, you know, I don't need anyone else to help me achieve my goals, um, don't get in the way of me achieving my goals, and I know what's best for myself, I know what I need to work on, I know what I'm good at, et cetera, et cetera. And so this paragraph reminds us that um, true freedom is not license, being able to do whatever we want to do, whenever we want to do it, because marriage and family is not conducive to that life. <laughs> um, but uh, instead, Marriage and family helps us deny ourselves, um, grow in sound judgment, and master ourselves. So in, in putting others first, in listening to and helping provide for the needs of others, uh, we grow in self-denial, sound judgment, and self-mastery, preconditions for true freedom. Paragraph 2227 goes on to say, children in turn contribute to the growth and holiness of their parents. Each and everyone should be generous and tireless in forgiving one another for offenses, quarrels, injustices, and neglect. Mutual affection suggests this. The charity of Christ demands it. So mutual affection suggests that, you know, if, if I love another and another loves me, then intuitively or according to the natural law, I kind of know and sense and get that I should, you know, forgive others, loved ones, for their mistakes, for even 
you know, setting out to hurt me um, because I know that sometimes I do that as well. And I hope that my loved ones will forgive me. So it says mutual affection suggests this. So we have a sense of, you know, in order to, to love each other, to get along um, as a communion of persons, we need to forgive each other for our faults and our failings. And then it's, uh, the catechism says, the charity of Christ demands it. So mutual affection suggests it, the charity of Christ demands it. So the love of Christ, uh, which God puts on full display in handing over his son to be crucified uh, for love of us so that the gates of heaven could be open, we could be reconciled to him, come back into communion with him. Uh, we as Christians are called to do the same thing, to, to put ourselves aside, uh, not in like a falsely humble, self-effacing way, like, oh, it's okay, I'll turn the other cheek, but uh, to truly forgive, like, hey, you hurt me? Um, that was that was mean. That was awful. Um, but I choose to forgive you because I love you and I see uh, how much better you could be. And I also see that I do awful things to you. I'm sorry for that. And, you know, please help me to be the better woman whom God has created to be me to be. Um, my brother, I quote my, my brother, Father Gregory, a lot, and he said, um, I forget what we were talking about, but he said um, to, to coax the good out of other people. So rather than saying like, you know, you're being selfish or like you're not helping or you're X, Y, and Z, find where the person is doing well and then encourage that and help that grow. So I, I found myself doing this. Where were we? Oh, we went out to... We went out to dinner, this lovely Italian restaurant with with family friends, and whatever was going on in the kitchen led to dinner being two and a half hours, which as you can imagine, having a seven, five, Sophie actually did really well, five, three, and one-year-old uh, sit still for two and a half hours in a nice, fancy Italian restaurant um, was a little bit challenging. And so I found myself saying like, you guys are doing great. You're being so patient. You know, they were like a little bit patient, but I was trying to coax the good out of them. You're being so patient. You are doing great. This food's going to be delicious. You're doing a great job. And so... Um, you know, in the words of Father Gregory, let's let's coax the good out of each other, even in the midst of our faults and failings and in marriage and family life. Let's find, uh, because I would want you know Dan and the kids to do this for me, and so I I strive to do it for them. Find find the good and and coax that out of them and encourage that so that it may grow, and in turn bless bless our marriage and family life. I think one of the reasons that marriage is one of the seven sacraments, well, two reasons marriage is one of the seven sacraments is one, it's so so important at a basic level for the continuation of the human race. Um, so it's it's very important uh, at a basic level and also at a more profound level in that it's in marriage and family life that that new human beings are, are grown and formed. Um, but secondly, I think it's important that it's a sacrament because it's difficult and it's often difficult in like those mundane little moments where we we die to ourselves, we master ourselves, we grow in sound judgment, um, we forgive offenses. What does the catechism say? Generously, generously and tirelessly, we forgive offenses, quarrels, injustices, and neglect. And it's hard to do that again and again and again, especially when we're like tired, we're stressed. You know, there's a lot going on. I'm busy, uh, and so. Marriage is elevated to the level of sacrament so that we can receive grace to live this well. 
uh, live this well for ourselves personally, for our spouses, and then uh, for our children. And then, you know, that reaps the rewards throughout society. So, Lord, give us the grace to forgive generously and tirelessly to, what was this other line? To embrace this apprenticeship in self-denial, sound judgment, and self-mastery. Give us the grace to love and serve each other well, those whom you have placed before us. And uh, maybe if our, our parents are not directly with us, give us the grace to, to honor them, love them, pray for them, and live this, this fourth commandment well. On the second half of today's episode, we'll read, continue reading about the fourth commandment, and the catechism gets into respecting those placed in authority above us. So maybe they're not directly our mom and dad, but they're our, um, what, town mayor, our, you know, U.S. president, our HOA president. Um, so people placed in positions of authority above us, we are called to respect those people, trusting that God has allowed them or placed them in positions of authority to guide and direct love and serve us. So as Jesus reminds us um, at the Last Supper on Holy Thursday, when he kneels down and washes each of the apostles' feet, those who will go on to lead the church, he says that the the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. So those in positions of authority uh, are called to not rule with an iron fist and and uh, simply carry out their own own wants and desires, but to to serve the people entrusted to them. So we'll we'll click through a couple uh, quick quick quotes from the second half here. Paragraph 2234 says, God's fourth commandment also enjoins us to honor all who for our good have received authority in society from God. It clarifies the duties of those who exercise authority as well as those who benefit from it. So we are called to honor and respect those in positions of authority. The catechism clarifies, however, that if those in positions of authority are inviting us to do, forcing us to do things that go against our conscience, then we as Christians are called to um, be obedient to our conscience and to the, the truth that, that God has, has placed before us. So paragraph 2242 says, the citizen is obliged in conscience not to follow the directives of civil authorities when they are contrary to the demands of the moral order, to the fundamental rights of persons or the teachings of the gospel. Refusing obedience to civil authorities when their demands are contrary to those of an upright conscience finds its justification in the distinction between serving God and serving the political community. Render, therefore, to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. We must obey God rather than men. So when the the demands of those placed in authority above us run contrary to the gospel, to the things of God, uh, we are called to obey our conscience and not those um, placed in positions of authority, calling us to do things contrary to the gospel. Paragraph 2245 says, the church, because of her commission and competence, is not to be confused in any way with the political community. She is both the sign and the safeguard of the transcendent character of the human person. The church respects and encourages the political freedom and responsibility of the citizen. So it's not a matter of, um, you know, if, if, this political leader is calling me to do something that violates my conscience. I turn away from politics and towards the church to the point of I'm just going to listen to the church and not not the political order. The catechism reminds us here that 
that the church is something separate from the political order. So the church uh, supports us in our exercise of politics as citizens. Um, So the church encourages us to vote, to pay taxes, to obey the political order. And the church, in fact, um, because she is distinct from the political order, does not and should not uh, tell us for whom we should vote Um, and maybe other specific things like that. However, the church can and should teach us, guide us, help prepare us for voting in when it comes to certain issues, the issues that are at play uh, when it comes to voting for political candidates. One more paragraph I'd like to cite uh, before we read on the second half of the episode comes from paragraph 2240. And again, in the vein of respecting those in authority, those whom God has either directly placed or whom he has allowed to be in authority um, above us, we are called to obey the fourth commandment and honor them in a way that befits their role. So we don't give, um, you know, we don't see them as as God or as uh, guiding us in terms of our religion, our, our spiritual life, but we do respect them, honor them, and follow them when it comes to their specific position. So 2240 talks about um, specifically paying taxes. So 2240 talks a little more specifically about some of the the things we owe those placed in authority above us. So 2240 says, submission to authority and co-responsibility for the common good make it morally obligatory to pay taxes, to exercise the right to vote, and to defend one's country. And then there's two quotes within paragraph 2240. The first comes from uh, St. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 13, verse 7. Pay to all of them their dues, taxes to whom taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is due, respect to whom respect is due, honor to whom honor is due. And then we read, I think this is very beautifully written. If you look at, um, so if you're in a looking at the physical catechism, paragraph 2240, you'll see two quotes. The second quote, if you look at the footnotes at the bottom, it's footnote 46, and it says, ad diagnitum. And so I did a quick search, uh, Google search. This was a letter written in uh, the second century, AD 130, authorities think. It was erroneously... um, the credit was given to St. Justin Martyr, but we actually don't know who wrote it. So ad diagnitum means or is Latin for a letter to diagnitus, diagnitus. And in it, the author writes this. Christians reside in their own nations, but as resident aliens. They participate in all things as citizens and endure all things as foreigners. They obey the established laws, and their way of life surpasses the laws. So noble is the position to which God has assigned them that they are not allowed to desert it. Okay, so they participate in all things as citizens and endure all things as foreigners. So we participate as citizens of our particular countries, and yet we live as foreigners because we are made ultimately for the land of heaven. They obey the established laws, and their way of life surpasses the laws. So we are called to be obedient to the laws of our state, our country, our local authorities. However, these laws are simply preparations along the way for he who is law itself, Christ. And when we meet him face to face, uh, as he says in the New Testament, um, you know, not why one iota will pass away. So, So we won't look back and think like, oh, that law was 
was wrong. Well, we do have laws in our country that are wrong, but the laws to which we are called to obey, um, you know, we won't look back and think like, oh, that was superfluous, but it was actually because we are incarnational. We are living our faith in time and space. We are called to obey these laws through which God works. And yet, as this paragraph uh, reminds us, we are called to live above and beyond them. So noble is the position to which God has assigned them that they are not allowed to desert it. So we we are made for more, and yet we have been placed um, in time and space in our very particular circumstances, our, our specific town and country, uh, neighborhood, and it's through each of these things that that God calls us and helps calls us to the more helps us to work out uh, our salvation in and through these these details. So I bring this up because um, I'll just speak personally. Sometimes I think when it comes to paying taxes, I think like, man, uh, our taxes go to a number of nefarious things, <laughs> including supporting Planned Parenthood and the destruction of innocent life. Why? Am I paying taxes? Why am I, I taking you know our hard-earned money and giving it to these things that are that are not just superfluous but morally objectionable, morally evil? And uh, so we we are reminded through this this section of the Catechism and through a number of of passages in Scripture. Again, most notably, pay to Caesar what is Caesar. We are called as citizens to obey the law, um, to do what is good and right in that this, these are the, the laws that have been placed before us, and God will then you know, work in and through that. And so I, within the last couple of months, I had this conundrum where basically I, I have a couple side hustles going on, and I you know, have this small source of revenue where I thought, like, eh, it's not through an official paycheck. I thought, like, hmm, why don't I just not pay taxes on that or claim that because, you know, it's a small amount. I can just put it towards our family instead of giving it to the government where then I will see half of it in return and the other half will go to a lot of things with which I disagree. And then I thought, I thought of this, you know, scripture passage, pay to Caesar, what is Caesar's? As, as God would have it, I came up, you know, right now on this, this point in the catechism and thought, you know what? It's simple. God, God tells us to to be good citizens of earth and good citizens of heaven, and so I will be obedient. Simply do what He's calling me to do: pay my taxes, um, pay tithe to the church, those in need, and you know trust that that God will work in and through all that. Well, as God would have it, to uh, you know get through my thick skull and and show me clearly what is right and how I should be living my life. Um, after you know paying taxes, paying tithe, I then discovered the small windfall in our, our family finances. And I, I took it as though God was saying like, right, keep doing what I have called you to do and I will show you the way, I will take care of you and um, you know bless you for your, for your fidelity. So if you're in a position where you're thinking like, eh, should I really pay taxes on this? Or like, do I have enough to tithe? Um, as we've said a number of times, following our Catholic faith is not always easy, but it is simple. And when we simply do what we are called to do, God then you know, brings us to the more, uh, opens our eyes to see how he's working in these other dimensions of our lives and how he's, he's blessing us just left and right, often uh, not in ways that we anticipate or think like, oh, I need to be blessed in this area. Um, 
but as we continue to walk, so the, the Psalms say, your word is a lamp unto my feet. So God just shows us, lights the way step by step. As we trust in him, we follow him and um, allow him to do these, these great things in and through our lives. So come Lord Jesus, give us the grace to be good citizens of earth, good citizens of heaven, to honor our mothers, our fathers, and all those placed in authority above us so that we might live this commandment well and experience happiness not just in the next life. So we're not just blessed you know, in heaven one day for obeying the commandments, but we see those blessings by the grace of God even now. We offer this up in Jesus' name, amen. So we'll take a brief break, return on the second half of the episode to read paragraphs 2232 through 2257. Thanks for sticking around. You are listening to Catholic Light. Thank you for joining me each week as we read through the Catechism of the Catholic Church and discuss some of its beautiful teachings. Hi, and welcome back. We'll now read Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraphs 2232 through 2257. The Family and the Kingdom. Family ties are important, but not absolute. Just as the child grows to maturity and human and spiritual autonomy, so his unique vocation, which comes from God, asserts itself more clearly and forcefully. Parents should respect this call and encourage their children to follow it. They must be convinced that the first vocation of the Christian is to follow Jesus. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Becoming a disciple of Jesus means accepting the invitation to belong to God's family, to live in conformity with his way of life. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Parents should welcome and respect with joy and thanksgiving the Lord's call to one of their children to follow him in virginity for the sake of the kingdom in the consecrated life or in priestly ministry. The Authorities in Civil Society God's fourth commandment also enjoins us to honor all who for our good have received authority in society from God. It clarifies the duties of those who exercise authority as well as those who benefit from it. Duties of civil authorities. Those who exercise authority should do so as a service. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. The exercise of authority is measured morally in terms of its divine origin, its reasonable nature, and its specific object. No one can command or establish what is contrary to the dignity of persons and the natural law. The exercise of authority is meant to give outward expression to a just hierarchy of values in order to facilitate the exercise of freedom and responsibility by all. Those in authority should practice distributive justice wisely, taking account of the needs and contribution of each with a view to harmony and peace. They should take care that the regulations and measures they adopt are not a source of temptation by setting personal interest against that of the community. Political authorities are obliged to respect the fundamental rights of the human person. They will dispense justice humanely by respecting the rights of everyone, especially of families and the disadvantaged. The political rights attached to citizenship can and should be granted according to the requirements of the common good. They cannot be suspended by public authorities without legitimate and proportionate reasons. Political rights are meant to be exercised for the common good of the nation and the human community. The duties of citizens. Those subject to authority should regard those in authority as representatives of God, who has made them stewards of his gifts. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. 
Live as free men, yet without using your freedom as a pretext for evil, but live as servants of God. Their loyal collaboration includes the right, and at times the duty, to voice their just criticisms of that which seems harmful to the dignity of persons and to the good of the community. It is the duty of citizens to contribute along with the civil authorities to the good of society in a spirit of justice, excuse me, truth, justice, solidarity, and freedom. The love and service of one's country follow from the duty of gratitude and belong to the order of charity. Submission to legitimate authorities and service of the common good requires citizens to fulfill their roles in the life of the political community. Submission to authority and co-responsibility for the common good make it morally obligatory to pay taxes, to exercise the right to vote, and to defend one's country. Pay to all of them their dues, taxes to whom taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is due, respect to whom respect is due, honor to whom honor is due. Christians reside in their own nations, but as resident aliens. They participate in all things as citizens and endure all things as foreigners. They obey the established laws, and their way of life surpasses the laws. So noble is the position to which God has assigned them that they are not allowed to desert it. The Apostle exhorts us to offer prayers and thanksgiving for kings and all who exercise authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life, godly and respectful in every way. The more prosperous nations are obliged, to the extent they are able, to welcome the foreigner in search of the security and the means of livelihood which he cannot find in his country of origin. Public authorities should see to it that the natural right is respected, that places a guest under the protection of those who receive him. Political authorities, for the sake of the common good for which they are responsible, may make the exercise of the right to immigrate subject to various juridical conditions, especially with regard to the immigrant's duties toward their country of adoption. Immigrants are obliged to respect with gratitude the material and spiritual heritage of the country that receives them, to obey its laws, and to assist in carrying civic burdens. The citizen is obliged in conscience not to follow the directives of civil authorities when they are contrary to the demands of the moral order, to the fundamental rights of persons, or the teachings of the gospel. Refusing obedience to civil authorities when their demands are contrary to those of an upright conscience finds its justification in the distinction between serving God and serving the political community. Render, therefore, to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. We must obey God rather than men. When citizens are under the oppression of a public authority which oversteps its competence, they should still not refuse to give or to do what is objectively demanded of them by the common good. But it is legitimate for them to defend their own rights and those of their fellow citizens against the abuse of this authority within the limits of the natural law and the law of the gospel. Armed resistance to oppression by political authority is not legitimate unless all the following conditions are met. One, there is certain grave and prolonged violation of fundamental rights. Two, all other means of redress have been exhausted. Three, such resistance will not provoke worse disorders. Four, there is well-founded hope of success. And five, it is impossible, reasonably, to foresee any better solution. The political community and the church. Every institution is inspired, at least implicitly, by a vision of man and his destiny, from which it derives the point of reference for its judgment, its hierarchy of values, its line of conduct. Most societies have formed their institutions in the recognition of a certain preeminence of man over things. 
Only the divinely revealed religion has clearly recognized man's origin and destiny in God, the creator and redeemer. The church invites political authorities to measure their judgments and decisions against this inspired truth about God and man. Societies not recognizing this vision or rejecting it in the name of their independence from God are brought to seek their criteria and goal in themselves or to borrow them from some ideology. Since they do not admit that one can defend an objective criterion of good and evil, they arrogate to themselves an explicit or implicit totalitarian power over man and his destiny as history shows. The church, because of her commission and competence, is not to be confused in any way with the political community. She is both the sign and the safeguard of the transcendent character of the human person. The church respects and encourages the political freedom and responsibility of the citizen. It is a part of the church's mission to pass moral judgments even in matters related to politics, whenever the fundamental rights of man or the salvation of souls requires it. The means, the only means she may use, are those which are in accord with the gospel and the welfare of all men according to the diversity of times and circumstances. In brief, honor your father and your mother. According to the fourth commandment, God has willed that after him we should honor our parents and those whom he has vested with authority for our good. The conjugal community is established upon the covenant and consent of the spouses. Marriage and family are ordered to the good of the spouses, to the procreation and the education of children. The well-being of the individual person and of both human and Christian society is closely bound up with the healthy state of conjugal and family life. Children owe their parents respect, gratitude, just obedience, and assistance. Filial respect fosters harmony in all of family life. Parents have the first responsibility for the education of their children in the faith, prayer, and all the virtues. They have the duty to provide as far as possible for the physical and spiritual needs of their children. Parents should respect and encourage their children's vocations. They should remember and teach that the first calling of the Christian is to follow Jesus. Public authority is obliged to respect the fundamental rights of the human person and the conditions for the exercise of his freedom. It is the duty of citizens to work with civil authority for building up society in a spirit of truth, justice, solidarity, and freedom. Citizens are obliged in conscience not to follow the directives of civil authorities when they are contrary to the demands of the moral order. We must obey God rather than men. Every society's judgments and conduct reflect a vision of man and his destiny. Without the light of the gospel, excuse me, without the light the gospel sheds on God and man, societies easily become totalitarian. This brings us to the end of our reading selection, the end of our episode. Thanks for joining me for another week. Uh, between this week and next week's episode, please pray for me. I'll be praying for you. And in the meantime, God bless you. Thanks for joining me this week on Catholic Light. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your family and your friends. And connect with me through Facebook and Instagram. I'll see you next week. And in the meantime, God bless you.